Okay, it's a pleasure to be here, to open up God's Word with you. We are in the book of Philippians, continuing uh, section by section, and we are in Philippians 2, verse 19 and following this morning. My kids really enjoy superheroes, and uh, they have their favorites, they each have their favorites that they like to reenact and play, uh, Jensen especially. So if you see him running around and making all sorts of crazy energetic movements and sound effects, that's likely that's what's going on. Uh, you might be Spider-Man, you might be the Hulk, you might be Wolverine. Um, you can check with him, but it's likely he'll be one of those. And um, in the movies and cartoons, he's seen, right? What he's done is he's identified his favorites. He's identified those, uh, you know, fictional heroes uh, with with the, the powers that he, he finds most impressive uh, and the, the abilities that he'd like to have so that he could save the day too, right? And I remember when I was a kid, enjoyed cricket, and I tried out both fast bowling and leg spin bowling. And I had my, my favorite fast bowler, Alan Donald, and my favorite leg spin bowler, Shane Warne, and I would watch the way that these guys bowled, and I would practice doing it just like them, right down to how they even ran up to deliver uh, the, the, the ball, ran up to ball, uh, and I tried to copy my action, uh, copy their action as much as possible. I wanted to be a bowler just like them. Now, in these scenarios I've painted here, Basically, you've got somebody who thinks, who, 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 um, who someone thinks of as an example of what they want to be like. Someone who they want to look to as a model to imitate. And that's what we see in our passage this morning. Examples that the Apostle Paul is giving us of people who we should want to be like and who we should want to imitate people to model our lives after. As I mentioned, we're in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30 this morning. And the book of Philippians is a letter that Paul wrote to the church he started about 10 years earlier in a city called Philippi. And he wrote this letter to them from prison, most likely in Rome. And chapter 2 of this book has largely looked at humble selfless living focused on serving others and advancing the good news about Jesus, the gospel. Paul has called the Philippians and all Christians to consider others as more important than themselves, to look out for the interests of others, not just themselves, as our memory verse this morning um, uh, points us to. He's motivated us in that then by turning our eyes to Jesus' amazing humility and letting go of the comforts and pleasures of heaven and entering into our world in order to meet our greatest need. 
And he's called us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That is, to put diligent effort into the Christian life, into obeying Jesus and growing in him. And one of the subjects that has also come up a few times through this letter is the question of whether or not Paul will be released from prison and have the opportunity to visit the Philippian Christians again. As things stand, as he's writing this letter, he's still in prison. He doesn't yet know if he'll be released, and he doesn't know when he would be released, if he's released. So now he turns to talk about who he will be sending to the Philippian church in his place. If he's not able to visit them, who will he send to visit them and minister to them? The two men he talks about here also serve as examples of the very things Paul has been highlighting and calling us to. Selfless lives of service and seeking to advance the gospel. So read with me from Philippians chapter 2 and follow along as I read verses 19 following. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I shortly, I myself shortly will come also. I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. The title of today's sermon is People to Imitate, People to Honor. Imitate. Let's look at these men Paul presents to us one at a time. First of all, Timothy. Who is Timothy? Well, we talked about him some in our first sermon on Philippians because this book opens up by saying that Timothy was with Paul when he wrote the letter. Paul had met Timothy about 15 years after his conversion, when Timothy was still a young man. He met him on his missionary travels in a town called Lystra, which is in modern-day Turkey. And Timothy was already a believer at the time and well spoken of by the Christians in the area. And Paul invited him to accompany him on his missionary travels and from that point onwards, Timothy was a faithful co-laborer with Paul through thick and thin. This includes when Paul started the Philippian church. Timothy was with him then, ministering alongside him. 
First and Second Timothy in our Bibles are Bibles, uh, oh, sorry, are books that Paul wrote to Timothy towards the end of his life, uh, end of Paul's life, to help him set a new church in healthy order. Now, why is Timothy a good candidate for Paul to send to minister to the Philippians in his absence? Because, first of all, he puts others ahead of himself. He puts others ahead of himself. Paul says that he has no one like Timothy, no one with, with, with the same level of genuine concern for the Philippians' welfare, seeking the interests of Jesus. Timothy is an other-centered, God-centered person. The wording of verse 21 is not accidental. It mimics the wording of our memory verse <laughs> to remind us of what Paul has called us to earlier in this book. He wants us to look to the interests of others, not just our own interests. And here, he's sitting before us an example in Timothy of someone who looks past his own interests to the interests of Jesus Christ. It's worth noting, too, that Paul says here that a genuine concern for the welfare of other Christians is equal, equivalent to looking to the interests of Jesus Christ. It is good for us to remember that a significant part of how we follow Jesus and honor Jesus is by serving his people and investing in their Christian walk. Ministry is about loving people and loving Jesus. Secondly, Timothy is faithful. Timothy is faithful. Paul speaks of Timothy's proven worth. He's proven himself. He's shown himself faithful in years of traveling from area to area with Paul through great trials and difficulties. He's faithfully served alongside him. Paul knows that Timothy will put in the hard work and do the job well, whatever uh, is, is necessary because that's what he's done again and again and again over the years. And then thirdly, Timothy is a God-centered friend and ministry partner. Paul points to the depth of relationship he has with Timothy. He, just say, he says their relationship is like a son with a father. And the gospel unites us together, Christians together, we are eternal family in Christ. And nothing magnifies the experience of that eternal bond. Like years of friendship centered on Jesus. Helping one another in our walks with Him. And partnering together in ministry together. Sacrificing together for the advance of the gospel. That's what Paul and Timothy have lived out together. And now... He can describe their relationship as being as close and intimate and affectionate as like a father with a son. Paul and Timothy, indeed, have lived out the call we see from Paul in chapter 1, verse 27. Stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Their relationship is an example of that way of living. Timothy would be ideal for Paul to send in his place because he puts others ahead of himself. He's faithful 
and he's a God-centered friend and partner in ministry. But these are also the reasons why Paul doesn't want to send him just yet. Remember, Paul is still in prison, and he still doesn't know what the outcome is going to be. Execution is still a possibility. In verse 23, he says, I hope to send him as soon as I know how it will go with me. In other words, Paul still needs Timothy for a while. There's still a possibility uh, that things will not go well for Paul. And in that event, uh, certainly, especially, he will need Timothy with him for fellowship and to handle some important things for him. But Paul goes on and he says, But I hope to send him to you soon, and I hope to follow soon after um, after that to visit you in person myself. Paul isn't able to send Timothy just yet, but he will send Epaphroditus. Who was Epaphroditus? He was a member of the Philippian church that they'd sent to Paul to deliver a financial gift that they'd collected for him and to seek to encourage him and minister to him in person. Now we know from uh, the biblical account that Paul was in prison several times and we're not 100% sure which imprisonment this was, but it's most likely that Paul was in prison in Rome when he wrote this book. And that's about a 40 days travel from Philippi. So this trip that Epaphroditus took to, to deliver money to Paul, minister to him, was a huge investment of time and money and energy. And travel in those days could be very difficult, particularly when over such long distances. And according to chapter 2 here, verses 26 and 27, Epaphroditus got very sick. Either on his way to Paul or in his time visiting with Paul, he got so sick that he was near to death. And somehow news of his illness, probably when it was especially bad, had got back to the church in Philippi. And now that Epaphroditus is is healthy again, well again, he's worried that the church back in Philippi might still be thinking that he's on death's door. They might be worried about him, concerned about him. So Paul decides to send him back, probably a little bit earlier than they would have originally planned, um, so that the Philippians can be put at ease about his health and so that Epaphroditus can stop worrying about them worrying about him. As Paul sends him back, though, he wants the Philippian church to know that he's thankful to them for sending Epaphroditus and for Epaphroditus' ministry to him. He wants them to know that he fulfilled the ministry they'd given him to do and did it well. So here's what Paul says about him. He calls him a brother, a fellow worker, and a fellow soldier, highlighting his love for him. These are affectionate terms, brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier. And it's highlighting not just his love for him, but again this dynamic we've seen through the book of Philippians of a shared fellowship or partnership. Right? This is what Christians share with one another. We've been given the Great Commission together. We've been given a shared mission. We are to partner together in advancing the gospel. 
Epaphroditus is a fellow worker, a fellow soldier. He's shown himself to be someone who works hard for the gospel and is willing to do difficult things, even dangerous things, that need to be done. A soldier. Paul then goes on to refer to him as your messenger and minister, as in the Philippians' messenger and minister, highlighting the fact that they had selected him specially as someone that they could entrust with this ministry to Paul. Epaphroditus, like Timothy, was someone who had shown himself to be trustworthy, to be faithful, a hard, diligent worker, a true partner in ministry. And secondly, we can see Epaphroditus' willingness to sacrifice for the cause of Christ. Paul says in verse 30 that Epaphroditus had risked his life to complete the Philippians' ministry to him. They'd taken up this offering, they had this desire to, to minister to Paul, uh, but they needed somebody to actually go and deliver this financial gift. They needed somebody to actually go be with Paul in person. And Epaphroditus was willing to risk his life to make sacrifices to do that. Thankfully, he didn't die, but Paul's highlighting here the fact that he was willing to. He's highlighting a striking example of someone who, again, who again considers others more important than themselves and who looks out for the interests of others, not just themselves. A quick note here. As you think about these examples, you might find yourself thinking, feeling like you just don't have the time or opportunity to give yourself to ministry like these men did. It might seem like these are unhelpful examples because it's just out of reach. And I want to encourage you to prayerfully give thought to what you can do. Oftentimes, there are ways that you can serve others and seek to help advance the gospel if you think outside the box a little bit. Be intentional. Be proactive. Give it a lot of prayer and thought. As one example, let's say a new baby is born in the church and we do our normal thing where we say, okay, uh, you know, the, the mother's hands are full, so what we want to do is we want to provide meals uh, for this family over the next couple of weeks. And you might think to yourself, okay, but in my living situation at the moment, I don't have a kitchen, so I can't do anything. You could stop there, or you could continue to prayerfully think through, what can I do? You could ask someone else in the church, uh, my family, for example, you could say, can I come over and cook a meal in your kitchen so I can, I can help this, this family in this way? And then maybe you think, okay, no, but, but I don't have time. Or maybe, you, maybe you're a guy who can't cook. Well, what about offering this family takeaways? Uh, you could get them pizza. You think, well, no, I don't have enough money to give a whole family pizza. Well, you could talk to a couple friends and you could pull your money together and together you could provide takeaways for this family. With some careful thought and prayer and intentionality, 
there is an opportunity for you to serve. There is an opportunity um, for you to give of yourself for the good of others. Let me also tell you about an elderly lady uh, from a church Heather and I were a part of in California. Her name was Norma Jean. And when she was younger and uh, had a lot more energy, she served a lot in the church. But as she got older and weaker, she had to progressively do less and less. Uh, When we first got to the church there, she was still involved in children's ministry, mostly just as a a sweet, smiling face uh, to the children. But she was there, faithfully, consistently serving in that way. Um, And despite the difficulties of aging, uh, because she really was remarkably weak, I mean, always as sweet as sweet could be, but very, very weak. She had a very definite goal of being focused on eternal things and not allowing herself to dwell on her aches and pains and to become a grumbler. She's a good example of the passage we looked at last week, right? Not, you know, not grumbling, not arguing, but instead, you know, having a focus on service so that you shine as lights in the world. She had a, a, a sign on her refrigerator that said, um, Growing old is like mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. Okay? So that was the sort of uh, mindset she was trying to cultivate. Don't dwell on the negatives, the, the, the pains. Uh, keep your perspective elsewhere. And there at her dining room table, there was always uh, a church directory uh, with uh, a bookmark in it. Because what she would do, she would spend time every single day praying for people in the church. She'd pray for the pastors every day, and she'd work her way through the directory uh, and, you know, until over the course of several days she'd prayed for everyone in the church. And then she'd just keep doing that. And uh, I remember her saying to me, Uh, A couple times, you know, she was maybe a little bit discouraged that she couldn't be serving in other ways. She's like, well, I can't do such and such anymore, but I can still pray. And she did. And she was present whenever she could be at, at, at church events, always full of warmth, full of encouragement, and just helping people feel welcome and appreciated. She did what she could. She did what she could. And that is what every one of us should be doing, is thinking, what can I do? Is there more I can do? Consider how you can serve others and advance the gospel. Consider how you can be thinking about the interests of others. Paul in this passage not only calls us to imitate men like this. He calls us to honor men like this. Honor. That's to highlight and celebrate. Okay, to give thanks, to be appreciative, to give thanks for. This should characterize us as Christians. Romans 12.10 says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And it's an interesting thing, right? Because 
the last thing we should do as Christians is to seek to be honored. <laughs> that shouldn't be motivating us. That's not why we're serving. And yet, at the same time, it's true that other Christians should recognize when we are serving faithfully and they should be thankful and appreciative and show honor. Okay, So don't seek honor, but be sure to show honor. One thing also to notice here is that Paul, what Paul has highlighted is not the gifting of these men. What he's highlighted is their character, their faithfulness. And that's important because sometimes we can think to ourselves, okay, but I don't, I don't have the greatest gifts. Use the gifts God's given you. Be faithful. That is worthy of honor. So, by way of example, I'm definitely thankful that God has given us the men He's given us on the steering committee here at the church, Dumi and Schlanschla and Jimmy. And they've got some clear gifts with preaching and with music. And that is a huge, huge blessing. But far more important is the way that these brothers work hard, the initiative they take, their faithfulness. Far more important than his ability to play the piano is the time Dumi puts in every week to choose songs, the time he puts in to coordinate and lead practices, the time he puts in every Sunday to come early and set up. is the way that Jimmy and Dupuo open their home for GC every week, despite the pressures of Dupuo being a medical student. This is the time Jimmy puts in every week to coordinate transport and give rides. The way that Enschlanschler has faithfully been discipling Daniel over their lunch breaks at work. The way he makes sure he greets every visitor who comes and warmly welcomes them back. The time he spends. The time he spends in evangelism. See, guys, all these things add up. They add up and they make such a difference. We are all called to this sort of other-centeredness, this sort of gospel focus, this sort of faithfulness. And when we see it, it should be honored. Let's be people who appreciate it and give thanks. And there's others in the church, definitely. And uh, I want you to know that we're thankful for all of you who are seeking to serve others and advance the gospel through selfless living. Now let's think a little bit here about this concept of heroes in biblical perspective. Definitely, definitely, uh, we can't give in to some sort of hero worship. There's only one true hero, right? Jesus himself. We are all flawed, and only Jesus has truly considered others as more important than himself to the fullest. We worship him, and we follow others only to the extent that they reflect him. It's also important, please, please, please hear me on this. This is not about earning salvation. 
This is certainly not about let me serve a little bit more so that I will please God and earn His love. This is about seeking to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. It's about working out your salvation. This is about I have been saved and out of gratitude and amazement and awe, this is how I live. There's only one perfect man and he already represents us before God. We're not saved because we obey perfectly. We're saved because he obeyed perfectly for us. If you are doing well in these areas, if you're somebody who is already serving up a storm and perhaps people are honoring you for it as they should be, don't be prideful. Don't be prideful. Praise God for his work in you, right? As we've seen in chapter 2, here, verses 12 and 13. Yes, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but it is God who is at work within you to will and to work for his good pleasure. And without him, you would not succeed at all. And if you're not doing well, take hope. Take hope. First of all, remember that Jesus has already lived the perfect selfless life for you. And your poor performance can't separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love love of God that is yours in Christ Jesus. And remember, God's at work in you. And as chapter 1 verse 6 tells us, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. By his power at work within you, you will grow. You will grow. So keep seeking then, pushing yourself, pressing on to be more thoughtful, more mindful of others, and to live a more and more selfless and gospel-advancing life. Amen.